Hello, I'm Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm excited about another episode of our podcast. We started this podcast to highlight local stories of faith and sports, mostly from the Selma, Alabama, Dallas, Texas area, every now and then bringing in a guest from outside those two areas. And today, I am excited to be joined on the phone by my friend John Peters. I've only known John for just a few months now. I've heard his story for about 20 years But I just finally was able to meet him just a few short months ago. He was born and raised in Brenham, Texas, which is also the home to my wonderful wife, Sarah. And I think it's safe to say, John, that um, before your streak of 53 straight wins as a high school pitcher, that Blue Bell ice cream was the only reason people knew about Brenham, Texas. John now lives in the Houston area. He works in the oil and gas industry. He's a strong man of faith and has a powerful testimony. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further delay, let's jump right into the story. Well, thank you for joining me today, John. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Stuart. You bet. All right, so let's start from the beginning. Um, I mentioned in the intro that you were born and raised in Brenham, Texas, a town of probably around 10,000 people. So talk to us about what it was like to uh, grow up in Brenham, Texas. For me, it was an awesome experience. I liked the uh, small town feel. Everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, it seemed like everybody was kind of in support of everybody. But at the same time, as a kid, if you acted up, a lot of times your parents knew before you could even tell them. So, uh <laughs> Everybody kind of knew what was going on with everybody, um, but it seemed like the camaraderie and the support of the town was really what I miss as I look back on it now. Yeah, I can uh, um, relate to that growing up in a small town as well. That, that You hit it right. The positives are it's a close-knit family. The negatives are your parents as a kid find out stuff away before you get home. So, or they find out stuff you do before you even do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Well, I know I've been around Brenham for um, 20, 21 years. As I mentioned in the intro, my wife's from Brenham. So I started going to Brenham, I believe, in 1996. And so I always heard that Brenham was home to lots of baseball. It's referred to as the capital of Texas baseball. So your story revolves around the sport of baseball. So um, I can't imagine that there's any other place you'd want to grow up than Brenham because of the the history of baseball. So talk about how your love for baseball came about and um, why baseball and not football, basketball, or some other sport. Well, ever since I was six years old, that's all I ever wanted to do was play baseball. And I believe that was because there was so much baseball going on in Brenham and um, you know, you heard, heard of Brenham, you'd, you'd hear about baseball. Um, and it seemed like that's all we did. And I was pretty good at it. So I took a big interest in it. And I can remember thinking about baseball when I'd wake up in the morning, when I'd go to bed and that's all I wanted to do. And my mother and my father, uh, would always play nonstop with me. My mother was a physical education teacher. So she would be my catcher and my dad would stand behind me and he'd be kind of the coach. Um, and we would play nonstop. I can remember even after school, I'd say, Hey mom, can we go play baseball? 
can we go do something in the backyard? And we would always throw baseball nonstop. Um, so I believe it's just because I was always around the game in Brenham that I enjoyed or I loved baseball. Plus, I was pretty good at it, and yeah. I, I liked I liked achieving. Yeah. So <clears throat> although I've only known you really for a few months, I've, I've heard your story, heard of you for a number of years, um, your um, incredible high school career. Um, it's one that I know when I would hear it, not having met you, you just kind of sit there and it's almost like it's one of those stories that it's really not believable until you mm-hmm. actually see it in print or, or actually meet you in person and hear more about it. So talk to us about that high school career that is so famous now. Yeah, well, it is kind of unbelievable um, that I'd win 53 games in a row without a loss. Um, you know, I still have to pinch myself sometimes because how did that really happen? Um, but we, I was very fortunate to be on four teams that had some really, really good players. And we were also very blessed with some very good coaches. Um, and it just seemed like everything kind of worked itself out where we won three state championships, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Uh, my senior year, we went to the state championship. So uh, these were all guys that I had played with since Little League. Um, and so we kind of grew up playing ball, and we played it nonstop, and we kind of knew how each other played, and we we really excelled as a team. A lot of people will say, well, you did it. And I'm, I'm like, no, I, I did it, but I really didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I did it with a lot of uh, – with some really good players, plus – it was pretty easy to do in Brenham with the, the fan support too, because we would pack it in. And if you couldn't get excited to play baseball there, you just couldn't get excited. Yeah, I know. I've been to um, actually a little league tournament um, game down in that area. And I was shocked at the number of fans. It was the one, if they won it, they would go on to the next level. I was really surprised at the number of locals that, that do follow baseball, even at, for 10, 11 year olds. Right. Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the season, it would seem like people would mark on their calendar when the state tournament was. Because wow. even when we had to travel to Austin for the state tournament, it was just packed. And it was like the, the joke around town was if you want to rob a store at any time, rob it during a baseball game because everybody's going to be at the baseball game. Wow. That's 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 pretty powerful. That says a lot about the baseball program. So you received a lot of national recognition, ESPN. I know for years I heard about the Today Show covering Brenham, ABC Worldwide of Sports, um, Sports Illustrated, which I've seen a copy of that a couple times um, online, local radio, television outlets. I mean, it was – you name a media outlet, they covered you and your story. So what was that like as a as a high schooler receiving all this national attention? Did you like it? Uh, did you not like it? I mean, just talk about that whole experience. The whole experience, as I look back on it now, was a great honor. And I still can't believe that it happened. Um, at that time, I liked it at times, and at times I really didn't like it. Um, I never – even as a young kid in high school and I was having all this success, I, I, I never really felt like I fit in. Hmm. 
Hmm. And I, I never felt good enough. Um, and I can remember every first pitch before the game, I would think, is this going to be the game that I get beat? It was always this negative thinking. And if people came to me and, you know, they asked me about their future, boy, I was positive. But when it came to me, I had all this negative self-talk going on. Hmm. Um, and I, at times it got really old with the media there. At times I would, I would be thinking, why, why are you here? I'm a high school kid and you could go right down the road to Texas A&M or you could go the other way to the University of Texas and interview guys that are so much better than me. Um, so I, I always had this thought that I wasn't good enough. Hmm. Um, but when they talked to me, I never, I, I never shared those feelings. I was always hiding. I thought I had to be perfect because I felt like everybody was watching me. You know, I'd go to a restaurant with my girlfriend and they'd say, you know, I could hear people, Hey, there's John Peters. Wow. And and I thought, man, I, if they just really knew the real me, they wouldn't be um, covering this story. Yeah. Because down deep inside, I was, I just, I, I did never felt like I fit in. You know, and then at, at the house at times, I would have this bad temper. Um, and I just thought, man, I hope that never comes out. Um, so I, it was an honor to go through it, but at the same time, I, would, I did a lot of struggling with hiding stuff because hmm. I didn't want people to know really who I was. Yeah. So you touched a little bit about at home and affected your temper. So um, talk a little bit more about how that did affect your family, um, not just with your temper, but how did your family react to it? Maybe even friendships or even your teammates. I can't, you know, I'm sure on one side the teammates are excited because ESPN is there to watch them or Sports Illustrated is there, but also, you know, was there any jealousy on their part too? So just talk about how it affected those different relationships. Okay. My uh, my temper never really came out um, on the baseball field, even around my friends. It seemed like that it always came out around the people that were the closest to me. Wow. And that was my mother, father, and brother. Wow. My And my girlfriend. And it was um it was like i if i didn't get something i wanted then i would act out mm. um or if you know a situation came up where i felt like my opinion didn't matter or i was being picked on i would act out mm. and any time i had a temper tantrum i was very seldom disciplined um I want, it was like I wanted to be the center of attention, but yet they let me throw this temper tantrum and then that was it. And it was, and I just wanted, I really wanted someone to discipline me. Wow. But, but I don't blame them at all because looking back, they didn't know how to handle me. Yeah. It was, you know, at one point, you know, one minute of the day, I'm, I'm real sweet and I'm real loving. And then 30 minutes later down the road, I'm, going crazy it's like okay how do we handle this um so i don't blame my parents or anyone at all it was kind of like okay how we how do we handle him um but that never came out on the baseball field the baseball field i was always 
I was very positive with my teammates. I worked nonstop. Um, and that was another thing. Um, I worked, I ran a lot and I worked out a lot. And I did that, number one, to try to get better because I didn't think I was good enough. But then the, the, the big reason why I did it was because I thought I was fat. Hmm. And I, I've always had this negative self-image about myself. And uh, so I'd run extra. Sure, I was getting in shape, but I was running extra, really, because I didn't want to be fat. Wow. Wow, that's, that's very, very interesting to hear in different perspective, because I think a lot of us, we think, oh, we would love all this attention. It's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that means we're we're all that, but... You know, I, I hear you, I've heard you talk about it, I've, and I've heard others talk about that. It's really, it can be a negative. All the attention can really um, cause more harm than good in, in some cases. So after high school, right. you go on down the road, you play baseball over at Texas A&M, um, but then after four arm surgeries, you had to call it quits. Um, baseball was over, um, so you've had all this success, and then, boom, it's, it's gone. So talk about, you know, what was going through your mind at that point when everything you'd worked for is just is gone. So I can remember after after my or before my third surgery, I was going to have Tommy. John, I was going to have to have Tommy John surgery, and I remember thinking to myself, "There's no way I, I'm not going to come back from this." I remember being in the hotel in Birmingham, Alabama, and I went down to the lobby and I sat down and I just started crying. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. My dream of playing balls over with, I mean, this was going to be my third surgery. What scout would want me? Wow. But for some reason I said, okay, let's try it again. And then I, after my fourth surgery, then I called it quits. And to be honest with you, when I called it quits, it was relief. Hmm. It was kind of like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. And my thoughts of not being good enough, yes, it's true, but now I can blame it on, oh, my arm, you know, I had to have arm surgery. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, it was kind of a release for me or a relief for me that it was over. Um, I was spending more time in the rehab room than I was on the baseball field. And eventually that was getting old. Um, but when I called it quits, even, even prior to calling it quits, it was like I had lost my identity because it was, I was known as the baseball guy mm-hmm. where I didn't want that. I wanted to be known as just a normal guy. Here's John Peters. He happens to play baseball. Yeah. But it was, hey, that's the baseball guy. Um, and so here I am still. I was still trying to fake who I was, you know, because everybody knew I was the baseball guy trying to portray this all-American, <laughs> you know, boy image. Yeah. When, when that wasn't me. Um, but when I called it quits, it was kind of a relief. Okay. I don't have to play anymore and we can move on. But then I had to try to find, you know, I was lost. 
Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, I've known as a baseball guy, but it's over with now. What, what am I known for now? I'm no longer center of attention, and that's what I liked. That's what I think I liked. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I really didn't like. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, that was, a, that was a big change for me. And then I started, that was when I started uh, drinking some, and I realized, boy, when I had a little drink in me, I could do a lot of things, and it increased my confidence and my self-esteem. And, wow, I, you know, every weekend I couldn't wait to go to the bars with friends and let's just tie one up. Wow. It would make me feel good. Um, and then, you know, the next day after drinking, I'd feel terrible. And but here we go again the next weekend. Let's just do it again. So I was always trying to find, I guess I was always trying to find myself and trying to find happiness. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. Wow. So after the college experience, you coached for a few years, you stayed in baseball, but then you moved on to, to Houston to kind of start life after baseball and insurance to kind of walk through that journey um, of basically starting a new life outside of baseball, um, you know, get married, had kids, you know. So what was life like moving to Houston? Um, I had coached for a few years and then – uh, it was like I, I was always searching for the next best thing. Mm -hmm. I coached for a few years and wasn't content. So then, okay, coaching didn't make enough money, so let's get into insurance. So then got into insurance. Um, things were really good. Got married and had kids. But still, I had never dealt with the core issues. I still felt, I still felt uh, worthless. I didn't have any self-esteem. I didn't have any confidence. It was still like just going through the motion. And I thought when I got married, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have someone that, that loves me nonstop, going to make me feel good. Well, eventually, you know, <laughs> that, that went away because I didn't feel good about myself. Yeah. And uh, that's when... I started drinking vodka and it's, it was the first time I ever had vodka in my thirties, whenever it was 35 or 36. And as soon as I put it in my body, it was like I had my new best friend. Wow. I'd never felt anything like it. And eventually it led to from drinking at night to drinking all day. You know, I would always tell myself, hey, I'm not drinking today. And about 10 in the morning, I'd get this craving, and here I am again going crazy. And eventually got divorced. Um, lost, you know, lost my wife, lost the kids, uh, you know, from seeing them every day. And I, mean, I was just a mess. Wow. And but you put vodka in me, I, I would pretend that I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but really, no one ever knew that as well. Never, no one really knew how much I was drinking or anything like that. It was all behind the scenes. Um, 
until that until that one day when I'd had enough and I was ready to die. Hmm. How old were you at that point? Uh, f- almost forty. I was thirty nine. Thirty nine. Wow. So hit rock bottom. What changed? I mean, what was the pivotal point, if you will, in your life? And so, so March uh, March twenty seventh, two thousand ten. I'm sitting in my recliner at the house, divorced. I was all alone, divorced, no kids there. And it was two in the morning. I'm drinking vodka, watching ESPN. And I want to die. And I had prayed so many days prior to that or months. When I go to sleep, I said, God, just please don't have me wake up. And next morning, here I am waking up. And I looked myself in the mirror and it was just disgusting what I was seeing. And I thought, gosh, I don't want to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And here we go. We started again. So I'm sitting in the recliner and I want to die, but I'm too chicken. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what I'm like. I, I don't know how to do it. And I heard a voice and it said, John, it's okay. Just tell somebody. Wow. And that was the first time in my life that I started picking up the phone and I asked somebody for help because I was so afraid that someone, I was afraid of what people would think of me. Yeah. And I was like, I can't go down this road. I, I, I can't let anybody know. But when I heard this voice, I said, okay. And for some reason I started calling friends two in the morning <laughs> And my boss, a lot of people didn't answer. You know, most people were sleeping, but my boss answered at that time. And he said, hey, what's wrong? I said, I want to die. And he said, I'm on my way over. And he came over and went to treatment. And since then, life's turned for the better. You know, as you talk through that and how that was the first time at almost age 40 that you'd ever asked for help. I'm just reminded that especially as men, um, we are embarrassed to reach out to another man and admit a struggle. Um, it can be a small struggle or it can be as big as, you know, a major addiction. So I think, you know, that's a good reminder for somebody that's listening. I mean, if you, you, know, you could be hit rock bottom or going through a struggle that's not quite as severe, but you got to let your guard down. And as, as believers, that's what we're here for is the body of Christ is to encourage one another. So um, as you were talking through that, I was just reminded of how, you know, I don't open up to other men a lot, you know, because of I'm supposed to have it all together. So mm-hmm. that was, that was good. So, you know, you mentioned life turned around, you got treatments. Let's talk about your faith. I know, you know, having spent some time with you um, back in August as we met for the first time and sat at Starbucks just briefly and talked. We've talked over the phone. You've talked about, you know, life with Christ now. So talk about, you know, at what point did you accept Jesus as your Savior? Did you, re- did, did you realize that Jesus was the only answer and that you needed that relationship with him? I, as a, as a child in Brenham, I grew up in a, in a church and I can remember, uh, when I was eight years old, Billy Graham crusade came to town. We all went, 
and at the end of it, they have an invitation. And I remember my mother and I walked down there and I accepted Christ. Well, I didn't really, I didn't have a clue what it was about. Yeah. And it felt, it, looking back on that, I felt like um, Christ was being beat down my throat. And I was the kind of kid where if you beat something down my throat, I go the opposite direction mm. because I have to, I have to know why. Yeah, and I, I never could really get the get the personal relationship part about it, um, and once I went to when I went to treatment, that's when I realized what a personal relationship was. Hmm. When I heard when I heard the voice, I knew that was God speaking. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't want to really acknowledge that yet because I was like, hold on here. I don't know about this. Yeah. 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 Two in the morning, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know about this. So, but once I started, uh, I, I guess once my heart was opened, um, to it, then I, that's when I, life started getting really good. Yeah. Um, and I heard a preacher one day say that, that God can take a very calloused, hard heart, and make it very compassionate and loving. And when he said that, I said, hmm, you must be talking about me. Wow. Because I was very, I was very rigid. Um, I did love people, but it was, I was, it was all about me. It was self, I was very self-centered. I was very immature. And a personal relationship with me changed the game for me it Mm. was just it just changed it and it was instantaneous you know i you know i think some things you know go very slowly and some things that quick and this was real quick and i was like okay because once i reached out for help and my boss was there then i started becoming vulnerable with people and people were fine with what i had done in the past yeah they were like, John, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Yeah. And I think through their forgiveness, I realized God's forgiveness. Wow. That's awesome. And it was, and it was like, you know, God hadn't given given up on me. And it's changed my perspective with other people too, because I used to be the kind of guy that I'd give up on people. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, well, why should I give up on somebody? God gave me what? thousand ten thousand chances i mean he and he's still sticking with me well why do i have why can't i give this person more chances um so it's it has changed it's changed my perspective a ton that's awesome so you mentioned when you're talking about before hitting right by you talking about married having kids so talk about your family today you you did two kids your daughter's now 13 your son's 10 so what impact does your story um, have on your role as a dad now? Um, and, you know, how does that shape your perspective today on your role as a father? Uh, I, th- I think they would say, they would say if you're asking probably that uh, I'm, a, I'm much more patient and loving now. Yeah. Because um, I, I would be very quick to, you know, to make a decision or to say something. Um, and I'm very, uh, there's not a day that goes by that I don't tell them I love them. 
Yeah. As a kid, my dad very seldom said that, but I think that's important. So I, I tell them all the time. And in fact, they, we have a joke at times. I'll say, Hey, Hey, guess what? And they'll say, what? And I'll say, I love you. And they're like, well, we knew you were going to say that. What else, dad? And so we just kind of <laughs> laugh about it. So now if I say, guess what? They'll say, dad, we already know you love us. Um, but I want, I love being a father and I love being active in their lives. Um, and whatever they, I guess I can, I realize the unconditional love because it doesn't matter what they do. I, I'm still going to love them. Yeah. And it's the same way that I, that God loves me. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm very open with them mm-hmm. regarding things. I'm very vulnerable. Um, whereas I used to make mistakes and I wouldn't want anybody to know. Now, if I make a mistake, I'll say it right then. Uh, you know, I'll say, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, that wasn't right. And so I'm trying to get really open with them where they can share with me, whatever they want. Um, my ex-wife and I are very close. We're very amicable, talk a lot. And prior to the change, it wasn't like that. It was very, I was very confrontational. Yeah. And it was, it was it'd be kind of like, you know, well, why would she want to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Which uh, that impacts the kids at that point. Right. So it's been a, I mean, it's just been a amazing shift in my behavior. Now I still don't, don't get me wrong. I still act out at times and, uh, oh, yeah. I'm not perfect, but, but it's life's gotten better. I know I have the tools, the spiritual tools to continue on this journey. And it's been really good. And I'm looking forward to whatever God has in store. That's awesome. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit now. So I mentioned earlier in the oil and gas industry, but you also do some speaking, um, I know you've gone back to, to Brenham a few times to share your story. Um, so are you still around baseball today at all? Some. I give some private pitching lessons, but not a lot. Um, I do like watching, uh, you know, I'll go to games and watch, but as far as instruction and stuff, not that much anymore. Yeah. And I know in our, some of our conversations we've had, you know, just we talked about how God is still using your story today. You're writing a book um, to get your story out there, you know, not, not to get your name out there, but to get your story of, um, of your relationship with Jesus out there and how you hit rock bottom and how Jesus redeemed your life. So talk a little bit about your book and, and when will it be available? Okay, so in late 2014, I had this little nudge at my heart to do more with my experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was kind of like, hey, John, you're just kind of sitting on the fence here. I want you to do more. And as a as a good Christian, I just continue to sit on the fence. (laughs) And uh, and so the nudge kept getting bigger in my heart, it was, you know, I could feel the tug. It just kept on and on. And so I reached out to some Christian men, uh, and said, Hey, what do you think? And 
most of them said, hey, John, whatever God's telling you to do, you need to do it. And God had put on my heart to, to speak. And I, and I like that. Yeah. I can, I can see for some reason for a long time now, I've seen myself speaking and helping people. Cause I, and I love helping, you know, or serving people. And, um, it seemed like when I was finally open to the idea, um, opportunities came about and people started calling, Hey, would you speak here or wherever? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I've, I'm continuing to speak, you know, the groups, um, and then also writing a book, the book should be out. We're hoping early 2018. And it's not that I think my story is more important than anybody. Um, actually I don't, I think my story is just a normal story, but I think everybody has a story that's very important. That's and right. If, if I can help one person, two people, whatever, to have a little hope that, Hey, it's not all it's, it's going to, it could, it could get better. Um, then that's what I want to do. And at times I struggle with, is it me or is it God? But the, the tug just continues at my heart as I pray about it, as I meditate about it. And we're going to, I'm just going to see what God leads, uh, where he leads me. And, and I told him one day, I said, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to. I'm open to do whatever you want me to. And it seems like since then, the opportunities have just been coming around without me even seeking them. Wow. It's just like I tell people all the time, they talk about, ask how our ministry got started. And, you know, I just, I tell them it's just a group of friends that were available and obedient. And I think we can say that in any area of life, if we make ourselves available and obedient to God, obedient to God, then he's going to use us. You know, You're it's, right. it's just taking that step of of being available. And, you know, when you said everybody's got a story, and that's something that, you know, I passionately believe in and believe that, you know, we all do have a story. We all have a platform. We need to use it. And you said you're hoping your, you know, even if your book, your story just touches one or two people. I have a really good friend of mine. He always reminds me when I get stressed out over some of our outreach events and start worrying about numbers and how many kids are going to be there. And he always reminds me, hey, you do it for the one. If one Mm -hmm. person's life is changed by Jesus, then this camp was worth it. You can't worry about if it's one or a hundred kids, but you know, we get caught up in, in numbers, you know, he's always, see, I get, yeah. And I get caught up in, in approval of others. It's, I I start thinking, what do God, what are people going to think of me? And I, and then finally it's like, okay, John, it doesn't matter what they think. Yeah. You're doing this for God's approval. God already approves of you. So just do it. Yep. Because it can, fear can paralyze me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then take something that God's trying to use and, and keep it, keep you on the fence or on the sidelines. Right. So if somebody listening is interested in having you come speak at an event, how would they go about contacting you? Uh, they can contact me through Facebook right now. Uh, we're currently working on a website. Okay. Um, and as soon as that comes out, I can let you know. Um, but yeah, Facebook, and I think on, even on Facebook, my phone number's there as well. Okay, yeah, just search John Peters, J-O-N, Peters. Right. Yeah, send him a message, and um, 
you know, I, I think you've heard just a, the listeners, you've heard just a glimpse of the story. I think you would, you know, hearing his story at your school or church or FCA group, whatever, would be would be a huge encouragement to many. So I do encourage you to to look John up and reach out to him and and have him come speak at an event. All right, John, I'm going to jump to the last question here. It's one that everybody we have on the podcast answers. Um, the organization is All In Sports Outreach. First two words, All In. It's very popular in sports right now among college teams to use that All In as their little rally cry for the year. Um, and we, you know, everybody knows what that means. I mean, All In is, you know, you're, you're giving your 100%. Um, and we tell kids at every camp we do or every outreach event we do that what that really means you know, the Bible in Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We tell kids that's your spiritual life, that's your school, it's at home, it's at work. It doesn't matter if you're making your bed or you're playing baseball. You need to be all in. You do it right and, and give it your all. So talk about all in, what that means to you, and then more specifically, what does it mean to you personally to be all in in your walk with Christ? That question kind of reminds me of a, one of my favorite songs. It's by Casting Crowns, and it says, what if I gave everything? Um, and, and every time I hear that, it, it makes me think, am I giving everything? Mm. Um, but what all in means to me is, you know, Christ gave his life for us. So I, a lot of times I think, okay, am Am I willing to give my life for somebody else? And what that means is, am I being generous and giving 100% of myself to people every day? And sometimes I have to answer and say, nope, I'm not. Uh, But I think generosity to a lot of people may think money. To me, it means, am I giving everything of myself to someone else? Um, in trying to help them or serve them or whatever it is. Um, Cause I want to show up every day. Yeah. And whatever comes in my way, I, I want to be able to accept it as opposed to having my blinders on and only wanting certain things. Um, That's good. That's good so word. I guess I would think whatever, you know, whatever Christ God wants me to do, am I willing to do it? That's good. That's what I'd say all in is. Yeah, absolutely. That's very good. All right, man. You know, and a big thing for me as well is if I'm struggling a little bit, it, it all has to do with my trust in God. And I have to I have to really think about, okay, am I trusting God with this? Because right now I'm just running on self-will. Wow. Um, but when I'm in the zone and I'm trusting God and everything, and I know he has my back and I'm taking action, life's good. It's when I sit back and start thinking, I don't know about that, or let's do it this way. Um, that's when I start falling. And thankfully I have some guys around me who recognize that and they're like, Hey John, come on. Let's yeah. get moving. Yeah. Um, and that's a big thing for me too these days is 
having some guys that know everything about me and they can really make it happen. You know, mm-hmm. they can turn it around for me and say, hey, come on, you got to get going. Wow, that's very good. That's awesome. So I know I'm trying to think of, to wrap it up here. I mean, just a lot of things going through my mind. But I think the takeaways, I think, is is being vulnerable and is having surrounding yourself with with other believers that know everything about you, that can encourage you, that can hold you accountable, and that can encourage you in your walk. And 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 it also a reminder that hey, we all have a platform. We may not have been the best baseball player, the best football player, the best coach, the best whatever, but everybody has a story. If you have a relationship with Jesus, then he's done something in your life. And so, you know, we all need to use that platform to be bold for Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. So, you know, I, I do, John, just thank you for taking time to just give us a glimpse of your story, a glimpse of your life. I know um, just in the, in the last couple months that I've known you, I've always encouraged by phone conversations, by text messages. Um, and the one time we were able to, to meet and, and just chat a little bit, just encouraged by your, your boldness for Christ. And I just want you to know that I know our family prays for you, you know, and we'll continue to, to pray um, as you seek God and um, opportunities to, to share your story, whether it's through your book, through speaking engagements that, you know, just pray that just keep doing it for that one. Because everywhere you go, there's, there's that one person there you know, that needs to hear about Jesus. So, so just know we're praying for you. Um, and, you know, and to listeners, thank you for listening to us today. Thank you for um, your faithfulness to listen to this podcast, to share it with your family and friends. And, you know, we love hearing from listeners. So, you, you know, if you're a Facebook user, just type in All In Sports Outreach. Go to our page. You can find out what's going on in the organization. You can send us a message through Facebook. Non-Facebook users, just go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Find out, again, everything you want to know about our organization. You can send us a message through there. Um, We love hearing from you um, and just value your feedback. But most of all, we just thank you for taking the the time to to listen to this podcast, and we look forward to, to sharing more with you. Thank you.